Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 130 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. How you doing, Elvis? I'm doing well. It's fall here. Wow. Are you having fall weather in Florida? Nope. We're having hot weather in Florida. What's it, like 90 degrees? Yep, 93. But I ran this morning, so I've been running in the morning instead of 5.30 in the afternoon when it's like freaking 98 degrees. So switched it up. I'm sure that helps. Yep. Woke up to 52 degrees today. I wish I was actually waking up to that. I love cold weather. Yeah, but in uh, five weeks, I'll be waking up to 23 degrees, so... (laughs) And questioning why I live here. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So we got a lot going on in the month of October for both of us. Yeah. Let's see. First up, Friday, October 2nd, I saw online, thanks for letting your partner know, (laughs) that you're doing a virtual symposium with the FDLA. Yes, I am. I'm super excited about it. So the FDLA canceled their May meeting. So it looks like they're doing an all one day kind of virtual event. And at 10 a.m. Eastern time, you yeah. and a bunch of other people, you got someone from a small lab and a medium lab. I imagine you're the large lab. I imagine. And the vendor talking about going through the pandemic. Yeah, I'm psyched about it. should be interesting. It will be interesting. And that's live, right? That's not pre-recorded. Nope, it's live. Straight up. You know how well I do live. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Good luck to them on that. For those interested, make sure you tune in for that show. (laughs) But seriously, it looks like a good lineup all day for that program. So head over to FDLA.net if you're interested in a day's worth of CE credit and just good quality content. And on Friday, October 2nd and 3rd is the DLAT, which is the Dental Lab Association of Texas's meeting. It's an in-person meeting, but they're also having a virtual component. If you are up to traveling or you are in Texas, we highly suggest going to this show. Elvis and I went last year. It was super amazing. We're currently working on a way that he and I can record attendees remotely. That should be interesting, Elvis. Looking forward to that. So if we can work it out and you'll be there, come find our setup at the Argon booth and we will record with you live, but not live, and have you on the podcast. Yeah, we're going to see if uh, technical difficulties don't (laughs) allow us to do this and we'll see how the internet connection is at this hotel in Texas. If it does work out, I'll be sitting in the lab all day Saturday talking to some attendees. It'll be interesting. Yep. And if you're not sick of us yet... I will be hosting a panel discussion for the National Denturist Association meeting being held virtually on October 16th and the 17th. On the 16th at 2 p.m. Pacific time, I will be talking to some denturists and some people who help manage denturist office talk about marketing and business development in the COVID-19 market. Oddly enough, I don't know much about it. So I guess I'm only there for good looks and questions. (laughs) What I do recommend is that any dental technician that's interested in learning more about a career in denturism to go check out this virtual event. That way you don't have to like travel anywhere and you get a whole two days worth of just talking about this great profession. And you might be able to find out if it's an interest to you because I think it's a really good path for technicians to take. So head over to nationaldenturist.com. 
to learn more. And this is the last week to get your official Voices from the Bench face mask to show that our industry is, quote, creating smiles even under a mask. Order before September 27th to get one and 100% of the profits go towards the Foundation of Dental Laboratory Technology. See the link on this episode's show notes or go to VoicesFromTheBench.com. Speaking of the Foundation, this week we talked to the past chair of the Foundation and a past president of the NADL, Gary Ocko. Gary comes on the podcast to talk about getting into the industry, building up a lab in Minnesota, partnering up with other lab owners to create Apex Dental Lab Group, which is the largest group run by technicians, and his views for our industry. And we even had to remind Gary whose podcast this is when he started asking all the questions to Barb. Oh, I know he did. Yes, he did. He took right over. (laughs) Yeah, he did. It's Gary doing what Gary does. Yep. It's great fun. So join us as we talk with Gary Ocko. Dental Services Group is proud to support the National Board of Certification in Dental Technology and proudly promote certification for dental technicians throughout their national network of laboratories. The CDT designation sets certified dental technicians apart from others in the field demonstrating a mastery of knowledge and applied skills in the art of dentistry. Certification also raises the standards of dental health through education in all aspects of dental technology. At Dental Services Group, they believe dentistry plays a significant role in the healthcare ecosystem and is committed to providing solutions to benefit the overall health and well-being of the patient. Visit NBCCERT to learn more about becoming a CDT and dentalservices.net to learn more about how DSG supports the dental community. And they support our podcast. So thank you, DSG. Voices from the Bench. The interview. We are excited to have on the podcast today a man that pretty much everybody knows because I think he's been about part of every group possible in this industry. (laughs) Yep. Gary Ocko. How are you, sir? Good day, everyone. I'm doing well. Barb, how are you? I am fantastic, thank you. It's a Friday here in Florida. Good. Elvis, how about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm on cup of coffee number 27, so uh, I am excited and ready to learn all about the story of Gary. All right. (laughs) There's not much to talk about. You know, I was born in the projects of Chicago, worked my way up in 70... Nine, I started in our profession after college, started with the laboratory for about three years, and I worked my way up from salesman to GM. We went from about four people to about 12, and then I decided to open my own laboratory. So that was in uh, 1982. I got a question for you. So out of college, everybody that Elvis and I have talked to on this podcast knows somebody who knows somebody in the dental industry. So how did you, from college, go to a lab? Did you know somebody? I had worked in another uh, company and one of the other sales guys, I went to school for accounting and I really didn't want to sit behind a desk. So I got into sales and um, the brother-in-law of one of the guys I worked at owned a dental lab. And then we had separated type thing. He took a different job and I did. And I moved to Racine, Wisconsin from Minneapolis and they called me and said, Hey, you want to do some sales? You want to work with us? And I said, well, I wanted to get back to Minneapolis because, you know, I'd 
good group of friends there. And so I started working for them. Wow. Okay. This lab was right outside of Chicago? No, the lab was in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Okay. I'm from Chicago. I went to school in Minnesota. Then I stayed up here and then I got transferred down to Racine, Wisconsin. And one of the salespeople that I had known, his brother-in-law owned a lab and he went to work for the lab and asked me to come and do sales. So I did that. I bet you you were great at sales. I've known you for a long God time and you're probably one hell of a salesman. Thank salesman. you, young lady. You're the best, Barbara. <laughs> Quit sucking up to the guest. So <laughs> what did you think when you entered this industry? You probably had no knowledge of it. What was it like selling teeth coming from a guy that had no idea? Well, I sat on the bench. Uh, did everything on the bench. Uh, those days, you know, we waxed, we cast, we finished, you know, that kind of stuff. And majority, the vast majority was non-precious metal at that time. So I did everything in fixed. I didn't have any removable experience. And so after a couple of months, I went out on the street so I could talk the game to the doctors. Wow. Education, education. That's it. That's You got to know what you're talking about. So who taught you? Uh, over, you know, typical over the shoulder, uh, gentleman by the name of Leo Paz, Leo's a great guy, but everything was over the shoulder in those days, you know, when, uh, you had four or five people and then, you know, built it up and stuff. I mean, it was, you do everything, starting models and work your way up. I've built porcelain before it could not go in anybody's mouth, (laughs) but, uh, I know how to do it and I could sit down and probably build a crown. Maybe might take me two, three days for one of them. And then we throw it in the garbage, but you know, that's my expertise. Well, the goal is it just sticks. That's all I worry about is if if it sticks, you're good. Yeah. You know, keep the contacts open. It slides right in. We're fine. (laughs) (laughs) So you're doing sales for this lab. And then at what point did you say to yourself, you know what, I can do this by myself? Well, they were treating staff poorly. And Leo Paz that worked with me, I mean, it was one of the owners. He gave away two thirds of the company and then he got fired. And it got to be, you know, everything for the two remaining partners. And I didn't like that, you know, staff was not treated well. And so I just said, I'm not going to complain. I'm either going to put up with it or I'm going to leave. So I left, hired a couple of technicians and went from there and just started canvassing new doctors and things. And the old doctors would call and they found out where I was. And, you know, I'm a believer. I didn't go after any of their accounts, Yeah. but they found us. So I just started building it up from there. And then in 1996, I purchased Red Wing Dental Lab, and they were mostly removable. They had one full-time technician. So now we are a a full-service lab, per se. Uh And then we grew it from there. About five years ago, I started talking to some folks in the profession, and we said, well, why don't we get together and form a group? So uh, Kay Hayden, Travis Zick, Charles McClemens, Todd Macklin, and myself got together, and we formed a group, and I think we're the only laboratory group that's owned and operated by just technicians, and we started going from there. Right now, we have 13 labs throughout the country, and we don't outsource at all, and we've never asked anyone if they were interested in selling. We've had a lot of folks come up to us and ask us, would we be a good fit? And I'll tell you, the majority Mm -hmm. of folks are not ones that want to retire. It's lab owners that are early. You know, we've had a couple of retirements, but we've had uh, younger 40s and 50s that they see that maybe owning a single lab is not going to be as easy to stay in business as it would if you were in a group. 
So we look at like-minded people. We make sure that, you know, we don't ship anything overseas. And for the folks that do, that's great, just as long as you're transparent about it. And then, you know, that's our business model. And uh, we probably have eight or nine labs right now that we're in due diligence and we take our time because it's a culture thing. You know, if you don't have the same culture, uh, it's just not going to succeed. When we buy a lab, we don't do what some others have done where they will basically use it as a storefront and then send it to other labs or other countries. That's We're in a relationship business, as everybody knows. We do very little DSO work because we can't compete at that price level. And that's fine. There's a lot of different niches that you can fill. And, you know, most of our labs fill different niches. Barb, as you know, I've been involved with acquiring laboratories. You just can't go in and make wholesale changes and expect everything to be the same. Yeah, that's super hard. Yeah, I feel real strongly in aligning that as well and making sure it's a culture thing. That was my next question. And as a matter of fact, do you guys have like a removable lab, an implant lab? Sure. And you just said that you're in for niches. So what is the mix there right now? Well, every lab is full service. Now we have a couple of very small labs, but we'll send that to uh, you know, a lab that does a lot of removable. For instance, during the COVID shutdown, all of our labs stayed open with at least one person. Yeah. And like Barb, you were saying earlier, you, you were open, you were the only one there. Well, at our lab, you know, we would do some basic removable. And then our lab in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, we would ship setups and things like that because we're still getting some work in. Mm-hmm. And we would send that to the Eau Claire lab. For our fixed, we would send it to Robertson Dental Laboratory in Lompoc, California, and they had a couple of technicians. So we were still getting files. We had a couple doctors that were pretty busy. Yeah. And then others mm-hmm. were making sure that they're, especially the removable patients, denture break or whatever, we take care of those also. So we have some centers of excellence, we call it. Two main labs do our milling for us. We have our lab, Granite City in St. Cloud, Minnesota, does a lot of the milling for our Midwest accounts. And then Robertson does some stuff for our East Coast in Vermont because it's a three-hour difference. So you send that file, even if Vermont's getting ready to walk out the door at 4 o'clock or whatever, it's still 1 o'clock in California, and they can mill it that day and center it overnight. So it works very well for us. Have we had issues? Of course we have. I mean, FedEx and UPS are experience different types of issues with the amount that they have. Our FedEx driver said their amount of work they have packages is almost three times what it is on a Christmas season. Wow. We can't expect them not to have any issues either. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but we're having an issue getting, you know, some implant Implant. parts. Those companies were closed down and people are getting upset and nervous. Well, what what were they supposed to do? They were ordered to close down. So, you know, we just have to be a little more considerate, I think, and, you know, let our doctors know what's going on. And we try to do that, communicate and say, we can't give you a two-week turnaround time any longer on an implant doc. Here's why, you know, that kind of stuff. We've had to do the same exact thing and we've had a... I mean, three to four week turnaround, as a matter of fact, I mean, it's it's increased drastically. And we've just been honest and had to tell them, you know, it's not us. It's the implant companies not to put any onus on them, but the onus is on them. I mean, it's nobody's fault, but it's starting to get back to going, isn't it? Are you finding that it's starting to roll again? It's starting to get back to normal. And when you explain it to the doctors, you know, the vast majority understand. Sure. Yeah. And 
you just have to let the front desk know because they're used to a two-week turnaround on some stuff. Well, it's going to be a little longer because those are the ones we don't want to get upset when they have to reschedule. Yeah, that's where we run into problems, too, is not being up front with them and they have the person scheduled and they're like, ah, that's never good for anybody. Not a good situation. Yeah. yeah. I had those problems yeah. with bars when we first came back. We had <laughs> yeah. a lot of cases that were like mid being done at the bar stage. And it, what used to be a four or five day turnaround was like 14 for a while. Yeah, they did the exact same thing we did. And the offices did. They shut down. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope our country never shuts down again. It, it's I feel bad for businesses that are closing. Or how would you like to be in a restaurant business and you're not allowed to open uh, in some states? Yeah. 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 So how does you guys' partnership work? Are you guys traveling a majority of the time? Does Kate have labs that she works with and Travis some that he works with? Or what does that partnership look like? I mean, there's five of you, correct? Seven of us now. Seven of us. Wow, that's a lot. And we have two doctors that are uh, investors and do some education for us. But we have our district directors, Tom Love handles some laboratories. He's a great guy. He's stationed out of Lompoc, California. Then we have a gentleman, Jed Miller, handles uh, some of the Midwest labs. And we just uh, hired on Joel Richardson, used to be with NDX, and he's handling a few of our labs. So it takes a lot of onus off of us. When we first started, you know, the partners all had different labs and we outgrew our projections very fast. So we're bringing other people in now. You know, we have a new controller, used to be the controller and CFO for uh, Menards, which is a big uh, home improvement oh, yeah. in the Midwest, you know, and Darren's doing a great job. So we all have different duties now, uh, and none of them are really running a lab per se, because right. when you're yeah. inside the lab, as you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't do anything else because everybody keeps coming to you or a doctor's on the line has to talk to you. Yeah. So you can't do any work. So as of end of August, as a matter of fact, I'll be semi-retired. So, well, yeah, but that semi-retirement looks like uh, I'm, at, I'm only at four, four and a half days a week right now instead of five or six, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's great. I mean, uh, I'm just kind of winding down. Kay Hayden is the president of Apex and she does a fabulous job. Yeah. And then Charles McClemens, uh, he's our chief technical officer. So he's working with all the different vendors on new products and, and troubleshooting what's going on in the different laboratories, those type of things. Travis Zick, Travis, uh, former NADL president, and Travis does our financial stuff. He does our mergers and acquisitions and all those type of things. As he says, he is a uh, geek for numbers. Oh, yeah. So, we like those people. <laughs> yes. You know, you got to have them. You have to have them. I and am not that person. So, just saying. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we look at our strengths, you yep. know, and our weaknesses also. What can't I do? You know, I went to school for accounting, but it's been a few years. I can read things. I can do things. But Travis is fabulous at picking out the different little number issues that if we're looking at purchasing a lab and those type of things. So it's going well. We have a lot of communication between the partners, yeah. weekly, sometimes a daily basis, obviously. And we're poised for growth. I think that this COVID is going to separate some people. And unfortunately, there's going to be some that may not survive. And, and I just feel terrible about it because Barb and Elvis, as you two know, people in our profession, they give everything. You know, when they go to work, some of them work in 10, 12 hours a day, five, six, seven days a week. And 
they may not be able to survive, which really stinks, you know, yeah. feel bad for them. And I just hope we can recover sooner rather than later. Yeah. So I don't know, Barb, Elvis, have you talked to your clients on what percentage they are at work? Are they up to 75% of normal patients or 80 or from what they saw pre-COVID? Yeah. And the reason being is because they can't have so many patients in the operatories at the same time. They've got to practice social distancing, so they can't fill up their schedules as tight. But if they could, most of my clients are 90, 95 because everybody's running back to the doctor, but they can't do the amount of patients that they could. So they've got to make longer schedules, add in a Friday, add in a Saturday, you know, where they could see seven. Now they can only see five because of social distancing and, and all of that. So it's just a whole different dynamic. What about you? Al? It's about the same. They say they're appointing a patient's way into the future because they can't get them in. Yeah. But restoratively, they all seem to be at numbers pre-COVID right now. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. But yeah, you're right. I think they could even be busier if they could. Yep. Which is a good thing. I hope it continues. Yeah. I feel bad for our, the front office staff. I'll talk to them and they say, we're booked until December, January for hygiene. Yeah. yeah. People don't realize we have two, three months that they weren't seeing anyone. So they have to see those patients plus everybody that they've had appointed in the future. So most of our docs are really well adjusted to it. The gambit goes from don't come in our office to come on in to, you know, we're going to take your temperature and here's some hand sanitizer before you walk. Yeah. In. So there's a big difference in, in who you're going to see. Sure. Yeah. Do you see a difference in volume of work since you got labs in a lot of different parts of the country? Are you noticing certain areas busier? Yeah. You know, our warm weather clients, seem to be busier, those labs, just because like in Minnesota and, and Wisconsin, we have maybe a 10-week summer. Yeah. So historically, we've really had one good month out of the three in the summer. Mm -hmm. And that seems what it is now because people still want to take vacations. You know, staff has vacations, doctors have vacations, so patients have vacations. So we see about the same normal area that we've seen for the past several years, yeah. but it definitely is coming back. We've seen larger cases. You know, we have a couple labs that all they do are, you know, full mouth type reconstruction or full arch and they're busy, but our other labs are, are seeing larger unit bridges coming through. Yeah. We've seen an increase in PFMs. I think I mentioned that last week on the podcast. Like, I mean, they were almost nothing and now... We're seeing a 20 a day, which for us is a lot. We've seen an increase in full cast gold also. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that, too. I think we had somebody on the podcast that was talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I guess we're all sensing and feeling the same things, which is good. Yeah. Gold's so expensive now. Exactly. You know, they could have done it when gold was $1,200 an ounce, not $2,000 an ounce. <laughs> yep. I don't know about you two, but. Doc will call and say, how come this gold crown so expensive? You know, pre-COVID, it was this one I did some. I said, well, look at the price of gold, Doc. We don't, we don't really have a choice. Yep, bingo. We have Argon bill our stuff, and boy, it looks nice. Fits nice and very little finishing time. That's a nice plus for them. So what lab are you out of? I am out of Dimension Dental Design in Hastings, Minnesota, which is just south of St. Paul, kind of a uh, suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota. And was that the founding lab in your group? It was one of them, along with Macklin Dental Studio and Jackson Fairmont and Kamel Dental Laboratory in Eau Claire. 
all about the same time we joined them together. Wow. And highly concentrated in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And that's not by design. It's just by, you know, obviously we know a couple of people in the profession and they've approached us, you know, we want to be part of the group or a couple want to, you know, unfortunately we had the wife of a friend of ours, uh, he passed away, owned the lab and we bought that laboratory and she was only in the lab four or five times in the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. That was tough. We knew Bill very well and it was just a, you know, it was a bad situation, but uh, hopefully we had a good situation for all of us. Good. And may I ask you guys a question? Oh my gosh, sure. I guess. <laughs> what are you seeing with printed dentures? Not only the dense fly, but I think there's going to be a couple of others coming out. You'll, we, I've seen stuff on the internet, but what do you think the projection is going digital for your removable department? Mm. I am still waiting for somebody to ask for one. That's not happened, but I have such a good crew of removables. I'm not really pushing too much just because they can do it better and faster right now, honestly. I think it's going to be needed eventually, but I think it's the demand has to be there, and I don't think it's there. So for us, I was thinking about that. We, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, I think, Elvis and I, but actually, you know, Gary, I'm part of six or seven, Lexer, and right. we're actually developing a branch on one of our laboratories that will be doing printed ventures only at Thompson Suburban. So we're seeing the need. It's not as you know great or as fast as I thought it would happen, but um, we're going to launch a, a lab that's going to be doing that. So yeah, I think it's coming. It's getting there. I agree. You know, we, uh, pre-COVID, we started marketing and then everything obviously shut down. Mm -hmm. And several dentists have said, yeah, when everything settles down, I want to get back into it. You know, I think they're doing what they're used to right now because their time is so booked. They don't have the opportunity like we discussed going from one operatory to the other while a patient is waiting to numb up or things like that. So I think we're going to see the same thing we did with zirconia. Yeah. It's going to be a slow ramp up. And then I think it's going to break out, especially when there's other companies that are offering materials. Yeah. And we were an early adapter in zirconia here. So that's why at this point, at least you need to educate yourself, prepare yourself, know what you need, what materials and all of that so that you're at least in the part when the party takes off for sure sure and you know how much i love to party <laughs> <laughs> what do you two see as the future for our profession Lord. large labs small labs groups no groups mostly dso doctors not so much all right gary i'm gonna stop you right now whose podcast is this man uh -oh. You're really drilling us here. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> oh, he's a little alpha going on there. Right? So that was a great question, Elvis, on where I think profession is going, in my opinion. And remember, I lost two elections, too. So in my opinion, if you're a small lab, you better be a niche type laboratory yeah. where, you know, certain doctors, whatever you're going to stand out for, you know, all on four high class, you know, high aesthetics and crown bridge. I think, you, you know, a group is probably going to be helpful. You can buy better with the lack of technicians that we have. We see it all the time. We have a hard time just finding people to come in and apply for a job, you know, so that's why we have different centers of excellence that we'll use and we can send it, and especially with digital. Yeah. It takes a minute just to email that somewhere across the country for us. So that's where I think it is. You know, whether it's a five-group lab or a 50-type thing. 
Barb, what do you think? I agree the same thing. I think you're going to have the smaller niche labs. And I think we thought with COVID, a lot of those were going to go under. And I don't think as many did. I think they survived. And, you know, they have goals to to keep themselves healthy and their businesses healthy and to, to serve clients that, you know, love that special service. And then you've got the larger companies and DSOs are coming into the market, a lot more um, digital impressions. I mean, it's just nuts how many we're getting here now and, you know, pieces and, you know, the competitiveness there. I think you're going to just have a mix of things. I really do. I think there's a place for everybody. I think we're going to see a resurgence of people starting up their own labs. Yeah, that's because, you know, you see the, the way the the corporations are going and like you guys have a, a vision of treating people good and keeping, you know, culture and, you know, not a lot of them do. They come in, they buy and they get rid of everybody and or change everything up. And you've got a, a lot of unhappy people that have a lot of skill that are like, screw it. I'm going to go out and start my own lab, just like you did way back when. And I advocate that. I think it's awesome. I think there's a place for everybody. Now, obviously... When I opened a lab, we could do it for a couple grand. Obviously, yeah. that was a long time ago. But now, you know, 150000 maybe, maybe less, obviously. But if you're doing a lot of digital stuff, you know, you can do a lot with a couple of people. Yep. It's no longer, mm-hmm. you know, you need five or six people in the lab or the one person is doing everything. Now it's with digital I think it's really helpful. Well, and on yep. top of that, there are some great partners within our industry that you can partner with and help do a lot of the things that you can't do until you grow your lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I think this surgence of people opening up labs, I think you're going to see it open them up with specific smaller DSOs. So I've noticed over the last five or 10 years, a lot of dentists have sold to groups, but they're small groups three, four practices only. And I think they're going to start getting into their own lab work Hmm. and start having labs in the office supporting them. Plus that lab will be able to support others. And I think we're going to start seeing a little bit more of that. That's an interesting concept. It's so interesting. We just purchased a lab in Wisconsin uh, that the doctors have had for 15, 20 years. And they realize that dentistry just because they're a dentist doesn't mean they can run a lab. Yeah. And this is a very, very large group practice that they just said, we can't find technicians. You know, somebody gets a better offer, they leave. So I think that the DSOs, the ones we talk to, they do not want to own a laboratory. Even the smaller guys, we have a couple of docs that own three and four different practices, and they want to build it up to 10 or 15 and then sell it. It's difficult to run a laboratory, as we know, Mm -hmm. you know, and staffing is getting harder and harder. But I think there is a way to do it. You know, like you alluded to, Elvis, there's different partners. So you get a couple of people in there to scan and design or even send the designs out and send that design to be milled at Argon or whoever. And there's a bunch of lab folks that'll do it for you also. You don't need a lot of people, but... I see when, you know, someone gets really skilled, you know, they either go open it themselves so they keep all the profits or, you know, find a different uh, employer that'll pay them more. Yeah. Barb, what do you think about that concept? 
I, I was actually, that's funny that you asked me, I was going to ask you an NADL question. So I was thinking about the next question. <laughs> I was going to ask you, you said Travis Zick being the past NADL president, you were the past NADL president as well. What got you involved in politics or maybe not politics, but getting into the industry and giving back and, and doing all of the things that I know you've done. You've been on the foundation, done the race, you know, you were the NADL president. What does that look like? You just had a passion for that. I know that you also ran for for something. I'm not sure what it was outside our industry, but what's up with that? Well, my parents always taught me to give back, yep. you know, and like I said, I grew up in the projects of Chicago. My dad did not graduate high school because he had to go to work in the depression to help support the rest of the family, that type of stuff when he was a kid. So they always taught me education and giving back. And so I was kind of the mayor of our township for a while. And then I was a county commissioner in our county. And then I ran for state Senate and got whooped, you know, I don't know, 50 some thousand votes. And I lost by 1500, but wow. I still, you know, I came in, I was the first place loser. <laughs> And then they asked me to be involved in the Midwest Dental Lab Association. Matter of fact, uh, Bennett and I were just talking about this at one of our component meetings. Bennett was there and he was talking about, we're looking for volunteers to step up and do things on different committees and that with the NADL. So I talked to him, I said, I'd be interested. And so uh, I did some other things and then, you know, I got elected to the board. The rest is history. And now I am the uh, current vice chair of the foundation. I was a chair for two years. And Mr. Sean Siegel from Anchorage, Alaska is the chair. And I want to tell you something. If anyone in our profession doesn't know how much Barb has done to raise money for scholarships and what she's done, she is absolutely phenomenal with the different triathlons. I've done six triathlons, five with the foundation and one locally. And I'm done with that. But yeah. uh, thank you for everything you do yeah. to raise money and support the foundation because we give it all out in scholarships. And we decided to open up the foundation learning library for free until the end of the year. Mm -hmm. We are still giving out scholarships. September 15th, I believe, is another CDT pillar scholarship deadline. So please, if you're interested in becoming a CDT or you want a second or a third specialty, go on to the website for the Foundation for Dental Lab Technology.org and uh, look at everything's all. I think we have 30 different scholarships, and a lot of it is because Barb raises money like you wouldn't believe. Oh, lots of people. But that's a great plug for that, you know, Gary, because I think you have all these amazing scholarships and everything available, but people just need to know about them. And yeah, there's all this money available for higher learning and CDTs and all of that. So September 15th and at, what is it? Foundation.org? I think it's uh, foundation for dental lab technology.org, or you can go to the NADL website. They will switch you over. And the same with the NBC website. Fantastic. And I was really bummed that the race was canceled this year. I got to say, I know it's going to come back next year because of the COVID and everything, but we would probably be in Chicago right now, a year last year. I think I saw a picture yeah. of all of us on Facebook and it was super sad. I think that was yesterday. Martha put it up and I was like, Mama. I really, really enjoy that event. And I enjoy all the people and the camaraderie and the training. And so, yeah, that's a bummer. But we'll be back. We will. Yep. And I'll be there cheering you on. But <laughs> I want to 
want to see what it's like to be, you know, a cheerleader instead of a participant. I just, you know, it's a different point of it view. It is. <laughs> I want to see what it's like to kick all the guys' ass again. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> she not only outraises everybody, but she also wins. There you go. Yeah. She's not competitive at all. No. Not at all. Nope, not at all. You know, my goal was to compete and not die, and hers is to win. Yep. You know it. Nice. Gary, I'm I'm curious about, you said you're still expanding. What do you guys look for when you're looking to pull a, a lab into the group? What appeals to you? Well, what appeals to us is there's several things not in any order. Uh, one is we only do business in the United States. So that's for us, that's a deal breaker. Two is you need to be digital. You need to be profitable. And if you're a larger lab, say a four or $5 million lab or $3 million lab, you need to have a management team in place because when the owner is gone, unless the owner is going to stay for a long time, if you want to retire a certain amount of time, we need to have folks who are familiar with the doctors. The doctors are familiar calling them. Mm -hmm. As we all know, it's a relationship business. And if that relationship isn't there, you know, we've talked to some labs that there's only one person, one person talks to the doctors and that's all they have for years. And that person wants to retire. It doesn't appeal to us. Mm. We can't build relationships like that. You know, we know that they don't have to use us. We don't have contracts where they're tied into us. So we look at the culture also. You know, is it a nicer laboratory or is it one that hasn't been taken care of in 10 years? Yeah. You know, just those type of things, because we don't go in, buy a laboratory and close it down. Mm -hmm. I think in the 13 labs we have, we may have said three or four people we did not need before we purchased the lab total. And most of it is we take over the back end right away, which is payroll and accounting and controller and those types of things, you know? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we don't come in and say, nope, we don't need these 12 technicians. We don't need that. We don't need this because we are smarter than anybody else and we can run it fine. That's not how it works. We've learned from others. I like to learn from experience. Like, no, that plate is hot. Don't touch it. You know, (laughs) what's the first thing you do in a restaurant? You touch the plate, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, We want to learn from other folks that went in, fired everybody, as Barb was saying earlier, and just had a storefront because it just doesn't work in the long term. The doctors realize it. We picked up several accounts locally because some of the local labs, there was a large local lab closed down for two months. That's it. We're done. And doctors were upset because they needed work done and they were seeking out anybody that could help them. So that's what we look for in a lab, a well-run lab, a profitable lab. And nice people, you know, that treat their staff nicely and that kind of stuff. We've been fairly successful, I think, in doing that. And there's been some labs that, you know, after due diligence, we've said thank you, but no thank you, not at this time. And others that, you know, we've helped saying, okay, here's what you need to do to bring up your profit and do some things, whether they do it or not, that's up to them. But eventually, if people want to sell, in this market right now, it's very limited to the buyers. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do about pricing? Like if you go into a lab and they're selling crowns at a different price than your group, or is everybody different in your group? You know, everybody's different. It's not like we're a Walmart where we set Walmart prices depending on the region. Mm -hmm. If they're profitable, 
you know, obviously it's an exaggeration, but if they're profitable at a $40 crown doing in-house, that's fine. Yeah. We look at their profit and things like that. And, and some labs, obviously we have different pricing for a lot of our labs. And, you know, we've pretty much standardized like our Wisconsin labs. We'll standardize Minnesota labs because we're all similar in pricing. Yeah. But that doesn't change. You know, that doesn't change at all. And what really helps us is for the most part, we can buy our supplies at a lot better cost mm -hmm. than a, a single laboratory sure. because we have yeah. more buying power. And Barb, you see that also, I'd imagine. Yep. Big time. Constantly negotiating, getting smarter and smarter and smarter with that deal. It helps. Yes, exactly. Yep. I'm wondering when Amazon comes into the dental lab space. <laughs> you know, I've been hearing about that for years. I don't know. Why wouldn't they? I don't know yep. why they wouldn't. And I don't know why people wouldn't use them. I mean, it's convenient and it's priced. Yep. I don't know. Well, you know, we have great relations with our vendors, but at some point when everyone is getting squeezed, does Amazon come in and look and say, boom, I'm taking over that market? Yeah. Yeah. That's for another conversation. I don't think I want an Amazon brand zirconia. I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me. No, I agree. <laughs> but I'm just, you know, not only do we have a relationship business with our clients, but we want one with our vendors too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Just like the lab folks will say, well, doc, how much money did you make on our crown? It's the same thing with the vendor. They can say the same sure. thing. How much money did you make with our, you know, our products? Yeah. And so... We want to make sure that we have a fair pricing and, you know, nobody's going to give us things and so they're losing money. No. So if you treat people well, I think, you know, things work out in the end. Obviously, you get stuck once in a while, but I still think that we should, you know, follow the golden rule. Otherwise, my mother might turn in her grave and grab me next time. <laughs> we'll yeah. So did you switch all your group into using the same zirconia and the same burrs and the same materials on everything just so you can get that buying power? On a lot of it, yes. Yeah. On a lot of different products we have. And with some of our labs, they have specific stuff that their doctors request mm -hmm. because they've done a good job of marketing it. We're not going to change it. You know, we're not going to say product A is very, very similar to what you're using, doctor, on product B. It's just not worth yeah. it. You know, and like I said, if they're profitable and we have a system in place at that laboratory, but we do a lot of, we'll do the standard item ordering now, we'll, we get that. There's certain things that you can order from this vendor or that vendor. And if you want different things, then it has to be an approval process, you know, so that we don't have 75 different burrs yeah. at a lab. Yeah. You know what I mean? It may be made by the same manufacturer, but yeah, I got to have this stone. I can't work without this stone. That kind of yeah. stuff. And you know how technicians roll. <laughs> we had to do that too. It's like, you have to have this one, you have to have that one, and you just it's too much inventory. So you just have to sync it up as best as you can and get everybody unified and we're using the same thing. And it makes for a heck of a like, easier day, actually. Or what am I trying to say? Makes for smarter business. We all know Bob Long. Oh, yeah. And when Bob used to be a Whitmix and did his lean manufacturing stuff, I talked to Bob and he said the first thing he had him do is have all the technicians take everything out of their drawers. Mm -hmm. He said some labs didn't have to order for months because yeah. they had so much stuff in their drawers. Yep. They do too. We do the same thing. Yeah. We have a system where they have to order there, you know, every week and they only get what they need. And we try to 
control that as much as we can. Because yes, if I had a technician, I looked for a wheel yesterday, she opened up her drawer and she had boxes of older stuff. And I was just like, oh my God, that's how it used to be. Good old days. Yeah. I've always done it this way. Well, that's, that's not working anymore. (laughs) We need to have new ideas and make sure we have controls on everything so that we can increase our bottom line. Because I don't know about you folks, but we can't just raise our prices five, six percent every year like we used to, you know? Yep, exactly. Impossible. Exactly. So, Gary, I also find it interesting that, you know, when you look for labs to bring into your group, you have a lab that's just one person, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you bet we do. Yeah, that's interesting because most people think, oh, you're only looking for those $3 million, you know, $5 million labs. But sure enough. You know, we have a couple uh, oh, smaller a couple. labs. Yeah. That- when someone retires, like, you know, at, at the lab I office out of at Dimension, uh, we're down staff because we had a great removable technician, drove about an hour each way wow. and was offered a job closer to home. He's got young kids. Great. But it's hard to find some. So we just shipped all that to Eau Claire. And that's only a little more than an hour drive if we have to drive it. So it doesn't matter. We um, have a couple of mills. And, you know, we said, let's just ship these mills to one location so that we can have a couple of different people trained at that location to do all the milling Yeah. instead of, well, this person was, you know, in charge of that. And they're going to take, you know, some time off and that, you know, how that goes. I mean, yeah, we, we started different centers of excellence and it's without laying people off though also. Yeah. And basically it started as a need because we had some staff leaving or whatever. So it works out very, very well. Post-COVID, we had staff member didn't want to come back. So we send that work to our Granite City lab. I mean, it's like, you know, we can try and find some trainees and do some things. But Barb, I don't know how it is by you, but it's very difficult to get trained staff up by us. Yeah, same here. Especially removable. It's just tough finding anybody nowadays, believe it or not, that's of a caliber of having common sense and skill. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's definitely tough, you know, and you need both. Yeah. You just do. Yeah. We're working, you know, with our strengths. At first, you know, some of the technicians are, oh, no, we got to do everything in this lab, right? Yeah. No, we don't. We don't need that. We don't need to have a $20,000 piece of equipment that we use twice a month or three times a month yeah. type thing because we have to do it here. Yeah. You know, so those are some of the changes that some staff, now they're used to it because we switch work between different labs all the time. So it works out very well. I had some staff come up to me in my lab and say, can we send this work to a different lab? Mm-hmm. Heck yeah, we can. Oh, yeah. great. You know, that kind of stuff. So it's a different way of doing business than we did 20, 30, 40 years ago, probably even 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think if we don't have blinders on, we're going to be okay. But if you keep blinders on and say, I've done it this way for 30 years and it's worked out great. Well, it's new material. It's new ideas like printed dentures. You know, maybe it's not for everyone right now, but I'll bet you in three, four years, five years, it's going to be the norm yeah. because we can't have staff. Yeah. So what's next for you personally? You alluded to the fact that you're uh, taking a couple of days off every week. What are you going to do with yourself? Well, I'm going to do a little woodworking, uh, setting up a little wood shop, uh, a little stuff to keep my mind off things. And then I'm going to do the uh, Let's Get Reacquainted Taco Tour 2020 (laughs) in September. 
I have a daughter that moved to Richmond, Virginia, and I haven't seen her place yet. So uh, I'm going to stop along the way, see a couple friends, and then head down the East Coast there in North Carolina, South Carolina, and see a couple friends that, you know, there probably won't be any in-person meetings for a while. So yeah, yeah. maybe three weeks off and just kind of see that side of the country. Good for you. I traveled every week for work. Oh, yeah. But this is going to be fun travel. Good for you. So you mentioned Taco. How did you get that nickname? I don't know if I really want to know the answer, but uh, I'm going to ask it. My last name is spelled I-O-C-C-O. And the Italian pronunciation is Iaco, but the, it's Americanized. It's Iaco, uh. like Y-A-K-O. Yeah. So I had a neighbor when I ran for office. The little Taco Bell dog was popular yeah. at the time. The little Chihuahua. Yeah, she handcrafted a little thing. And it says taco or yako rhymes with taco. So my oldest daughter, her friends still call her taco. Nice. So uh, we had that printed on the back of t-shirts that's, so they could understand how to pronounce my name. That's awesome. And I gave someone a t-shirt that we were at the Visions meeting several years ago and thought it would be a good time to bring that and wear that. And there were all kinds of different pictures of everyone wearing it, like maybe some women in front of a urinal and, you know, that. <laughs> and it stuck. <laughs> it auctioned off for $400 for the foundation. Oh, wow. So I said, man, I got a bunch of these, whoever wants them at 400 bucks. So it's kind of stuck, you know, a lot of my friends call me Taco. And just stuck, and I, I'll go with it. So whether it's friends from around here or my dental friends, it's, hey, taco, taco. So that's how it came about. Thank you. I love it. I do remember the Visions meeting, I'll tell you that. I remember the shirts, and I remember the raising of the money, but I didn't know where it started. So thank you. That's how it started. Barb, was that so. you at the urinal with the shirt on? Was that you? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Believe it or not, that was not me. Thank you, though. Appreciate it. I'm the NADL president, and I behave accordingly. Just saying. Oh, yes, of course. Of course. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's a good nickname like to have, it. Gary. I mean, you can't really say anything bad about a taco. So, I mean, it's nope. a great nickname to have. <laughs> well, you know, I ran for state senate and state house. And like I said, I'm a two-time loser, so don't take my advice. <laughs> but, you know... You get beat up pretty hard, you know, in politics, and it's if you don't have a thick skin, you're in trouble. So when they started calling me Taco, I said, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I'd be out campaigning, and hey, Yako rhymes with Taco, and I'd say, yep, looks like a meatball. <laughs> so <laughs> it's better be being called Taco than meatball, I yeah. guess. Yep, agree. Yeah. And then everyone thought you were just calling them a meatball, and that's why you didn't get the votes. <laughs> Could have been. Could have been. <laughs> Well, Gary, easily coming up on an hour, sir. That was great. We want to appreciate everything that you've done for this industry. And we hope that as you retire, we don't get to see you less. Aw, well, I agree. Thank you. Thank you very much. This profession has been phenomenal to myself and my family. And giving back is not an issue with time or talent and things, if, if I have any. But what you two are doing on a serious note, what you do to help advance our profession and bring on different people, because some of the podcasts have been exceptional. The people that give back and give so much to our profession, most people don't know about. And what this podcast does is it helps highlight those people and what they do 
and you two in particular, Elvis, what you do starting this podcast, now you're on the NADL board and giving back and volunteering, always at the foundation triathlons. You want to talk about self-deprivation, folks. Uh, that was, he came in different outfits all the time. <laughs> and then you have Barb, past president of the NADL. Oh, I'm still the president. Hello. I'm the president for like four I said, more months. The president of the NADL. <laughs> Cut that out, yeah, please. Yeah, then you have Barb, the president of the NADL, and this is a year like we've never oh, seen in our profession. Yeah. And she is leading us through and leading the association through. So it's going to come back stronger than it ever has. And thank, thank you. you two very, very much. I appreciate what you do for our profession. Thank you very much. Right back at you, Gary. I, mean, <laughs> I met you in 2015 in the greatest group of NADL University. Oh, we had a great time. Yeah. And ever since then, you've been an inspiration. I've looked up to you on what you do to give back. And it was a good part of me that really got me involved. There might have been a lot of alcohol when you convinced me to. (laughs) But still the same, it's people like you that were really heavily involved that made me want to get involved too. And I appreciate that. I'm feeling the love. So nice. It is. Think about it. I mean, we have, you know, a small profession when you think of other professions. But it's like family on how many people we know and, you know, their their wives or their husbands and different things, what they do. And there's something sad that happens. So many people reach out. And the same thing when something happy happens in their family. So we may be a profession, but I think we're also a family. Oh, yeah. Agreed. A very dysfunctional family, but a family still the same. <laughs> I didn't say what kind of family. <laughs> Well, Gary, we appreciate it, man. Like I said, don't go nowhere. Don't enjoy retirement too much. We want to see you when we can all get back together again. And have fun. I will be there with bells on my toes. Nice. Have a great time. Thank you. Appreciate it, Gary. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Barb. I've been talking about the new Formlabs printer we got for a few weeks now. And while we are pretty much printing all of our models on it, last week we gave custom trays a try. Do you do a lot of custom trays? You know, we do a fair amount. Pretty much with any overdenture or hybrid case, we insist that it all starts with a well-designed custom tray. Because if you don't get that right, the rest is crap. Am I right? Yeah, you're pretty much right, that's for sure. There's nothing worse than getting to the verification jig only to find out that the model was wrong. For sure. You know, one of the things I really like is that the material is very translucent. So when we go chairside and help with a full arch, you can try in that tray before the impression material and really see that everything is lined up and where it should be. That's amazing. So I got to ask you, because you've had it for a couple weeks now, was it easy to print it? Sure was. We just put the cartridge in, labeled custom tray, import our design into the free software that comes with the printer, hit that magic wand button, it puts everything on the plate with all the supports, and off it goes. Super simple. Magic wand button. I like that. Well, it definitely seems like you're a fan. Where can people learn more about Form Labs Form 3B printer? Well, head over to formlabs.com forward slash VFTB for Voices from the Bench. And they can send you something printed on a Form 3B printer for you to check out. 
I suggest checking out their gray model material. It's pretty nice. Thanks for your support of the podcast, Form Labs. Thank you, Gary Yako, for coming on the podcast. We cannot thank you enough and all that you have done for our industry over the years. As he stated that he is now semi-retired, we do hope he still plays an active role in the profession. And I do believe I saw him stop by your lab, Elvis. Yes. So it's crazy. He mentions in the interview how he was going to go, I think, see a daughter out on the East Coast. And he was going to stop by labs. And I had no idea he was going to stop by my lab. Yeah, that was cool. I was finishing up a Zoom call and I walk out into our hall and here's this guy standing there. (laughs) Looks vaguely familiar. He's got a mask on, of course. He's got this unruly, uncut hair. And I'm staring at him. He looks at me and goes, hey, buddy. I'm like, (laughs) God, who are you? Are you my Ivaclar? Zahn? And supply, who are you? I can't, I couldn't figure. And then it dawned on us and it was great. It was really nice catching up with him. And it was a nice surprise because he didn't even let me know he was coming. So it was a lot of fun. That's cool. He's a good guy. All right, everybody. Remember, head over to VoicesFromTheBench.com and get a mask before September 27th and support our industry. That's all we got for you. Bye. Have a good one. See ya. Three, two, one. Thanks, Thanks for your support. You do it. <laughs> <laughs>